1989, I arrived in Chicago for the first time on a road to discovering my new home. 30 years later, I'm leaving Chicago for the desert. I'm Don Hall. Welcome to Peculiar Journeys. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn So get those stakes up higher There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there They're all living the devil may care And I'm just a devil with love to spare So Viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas Sal, we gotta go and never stop till we get there Where are we going, man? I don't know, but we gotta go that's from On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Welcome back, Peculiar Journeyers. As this Season five's opener indicates, this season is going to be about one specific peculiar journey. My split from Chicago, Illinois after living there for 30 years, my travels to Las Vegas, Nevada, and the moments of getting to know a new city. And so, the setup. About a year ago and some change, Dana and I hit a bit of a wall. There is a substantive psychic difference between a groove and a rut, and our groove had rutted. She'd been in Chicago for over 10 years working as a figure model, a standardized patient, and in the last two and a half years, the manager of Logan Square's Uncharted Books. I had been in Chi-Town since 1989 and had a resume that resembled the scribblings of a lunatic. After leaving WBEZ in 2017, I was once again adrift to find something new about working in Chicago. I freelanced and I worked with Audible and local businesses. I took on last season's gig at Millennium Park, but neither of us was finding any challenge in the city of Big Shoulders anymore. A simpler way of putting it was that we were just getting bored with the same old streets, taking us to the same old places, doing the same old things. We talked one night in bed about moving to Austin, Texas. It was warmer than Chicago. It was a center of events that was my jam and had a thriving music scene for her. So I started looking and researching. I liked Austin, but also entertained a move to Atlanta, San Jose, New Orleans, and Las Vegas. I'd spend random days in between living our lives, crunching numbers, researching moving costs and the costs of living in all these cities. We weeded out Atlanta, which seemed to be just like Chicago, but hot. San Jose was so close to San Francisco that the housing and apartment rental costs were really on the rise. Well, by the time the Millennium Park season was on the downside, we had decided to stick around for one more year, if for no other reason than the park had already asked me to come back next summer and a bird in a hand, right? Just prior to our fourth anniversary in September, though, a mutual friend of ours who had sold his home in Chicago and was looking to move out of the state threw out an idea. He suffered from some significant disability, so moving out by himself was a bit too daunting, as well as him wanting to be a property owner in a market where he could buy property, improve it, borrow some off of that effort, buy more property, and then rent the old. Given his past working on flipping houses and designing hotels, this seemed pretty smart given his less than physical condition. The idea was that we could get the three of us along with his longtime roommate, Kelly, and we'd move out to Vegas, all four of us, and it would be cheaper together than apart. The strength of the pack sort of thing, financially. Well, Dana and I sat on the beach in Traverse City, Michigan for our anniversary, and we talked it through. We did want to move. We didn't have jobs in Vegas, but Matthew, our friend, had suggested he could put down the dough for a house. We preferred an apartment, but then he would front most of the move if we went and then 
And then if we decided we would ultimately be co-owners of the house or renters there, we'd make that choice once we got there. We talked through potential pitfalls, but we really, really wanted to go. So we decided that afternoon to take Matthew up on his offer. I mean, how could we refuse? We packed up our place above Easy Bar in Wicker Park. Our lease was up in December. We flew to Vegas and found a house we thought would work and traveled to Kansas for an, an extended Christmas. We came back and stayed in one of Matthew's bedrooms for the month of January, rent-free, all the while helping Matthew pack his home up for travel. Our entire collective stuff, except for clothes and some toiletries, we put in a storage space on West Grand Avenue. While we boxed up Matthew's kitchen, tools, living room, etc., it took most of the month because Matthew had accumulated a lot of stuff over the years. On February 6th, Matthew flew out to Vegas to close on the place and... Dana and Kelly hopped in his Toyota truck with he and Kelly's cats and drove to my mom and dad's place in Kansas, then to Amarillo, Texas, then to Gallup, New Mexico, and finally to Las Vegas. I stayed in Chicago to complete the move, get the mountain of boxes and furniture to the movers, clean up the empty house, do my final performance of Bug House at Haymarket Pub and Brewery, and then hop in the Prius and drive to the Mojave Desert. I decided to randomly record my thoughts on this road trip, and the audio quality is a bit rough as I was driving and I was using my phones with no microphone, so please bear with the quality. But here we go. I just couldn't spend, as hungover as I was, I went, all right, I, you know, and I could have spent another day and it, you know, waited and really relaxed, really got some sleep before I made this, what's going to end up being about a 36, 40 hour drive to Vegas and I went you know I gotta get the fuck out of here I have to leave I have to leave this space and uh, that is exactly what I did I, I cleaned up a little bit I did some laundry I packed the car the car the Prius is so packed I almost couldn't get my coffee pot in here I mean that is how packed it is it's so packed that I had to do the passenger seat safety belt because there was so much weight on the front seat that it was beeping like there was somebody sitting there and didn't have their seatbelt on. It's packed. Well, you know, I'm driving and it's, I left at 3.30 in the afternoon and pretty much by 4.45, it's pitch black. And a huge storm, driving through a huge storm, um, not really rain or just wind, a lot of wind. There were a couple patches where it got so windy I couldn't see two feet in front of my car, <clears throat> but I'm reminded of when I first got to Chicago. Leaving Chicago felt very similar to getting to Chicago in that when I came to Chicago the first time, it was in rush hour traffic, and it would just start, just start and stop, cars all over the place, unbelievable. And as I left Chicago, I decided to leave at a time when I was right in rush hour traffic. So it did have that similar feel. I thought that I would have more of a, an emotional response as I drove away from Chicago. Um, and I didn't. It was just, I'm just driving. I'm just going. I have a place to go. I'm excited. I said my goodbyes pretty much in the last couple of weeks. And now I am on a dark ribbon of highway. Throughout the trip, I just turn the microphone on and start talking. Much of it was reflections on my time in Chicago as things just sort of hit me. A huge part of my time there 
was my time with WNEP Theater. Okay, yes, all right. We're now in St. Louis. I've been on the road for about six, a little over six hours. And it is uh, almost 10 o'clock at night. And uh, we're driving. I mean, you know, the thing about it is, and what I love about road trips like this, and I've done a, a lot of road trips. I think the longest road trip I ever did was cross-country, and it ended up being about 47 hours. I don't think I'm going to rival that with this. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I really do... I love long-distance road trips. Now, the thing I think is very interesting is... Um, when I was younger, in my college days, when I drove around the country a lot, you know, and I was like traveling, um, there was no GPS, there were no smartphones. I used an atlas, you know, I used maps. And, uh, you know, there was a certain amount of, I don't know, intellectual rigor, I suppose, uh, in the idea of taking a map out and marking your territory and, and sort of following along that way. GPS takes all the mental work out of it. You just follow along. In fact, as an example, you know, I, I as I'm entering St. Louis, what I needed to do is get on 44 West, I believe, and I missed. I missed the turn. And it rerouted me, so I just went through a, a whole section of downtown St. Louis, rerouted me to get to another place so that I could actually get back on 44 West. If I'd done that with a map, you know, I might have had to pull over. I, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So it really is a remarkable thing. And I think it's so easy to start taking taking for granted these kinds of things. They're just new technology. Um, I recall, oh, and I think this was probably 1999. Yeah, in fact, it had to be 1999. We were doing, uh, WDP Theater was doing an adaptation uh, of the Chris Van Allsburg children's book called The Mysteries of Karis Burdick. And what we did, which was something we did a lot of because we had so many writers and that was part of, uh, you know, WDP started. We started as a collaborative improvisation um, and then it started to expand into a number of writers, a number of playwrights, and so we would do a lot of projects where we had a number of playwrights uh, get together and kind of create these moments, and Mysteries of Harrisburg was one of those. But one of the things that was very interesting about the Mysteries of Harrisburg from a technology standpoint, from the tool standpoint, was we did it at the Bailiwick Theater, which is now Theater Wit, right next to State 773, which used to be the theater building. So things change. But we were in there, and uh, the technology was such that, you know, Jeff Shavar, our composer, wrote an entire score through this series of scenes, this narrative. And it was an absolutely stunning, beautiful score. Like, unbelievably beautiful. But in order to do it, we didn't, you know, there wasn't DVD, there wasn't CDs at that time. I mean, we didn't have the ability to burn uh, the music on CDs and thus move tracks. So it was all on cassette tapes. And because there were like 26 different music cues, <coughs> because there were 26 different music cues, there were 26 cassette tapes. And I had to have uh, a great big towel um, because the 
booth was right on top of the audience. I mean, we were right there. They could hear everything we were doing. And what we didn't want, I didn't want, was, you know, every time I laid down a cassette tape, there was the chance that you could hear the cassette tape clicking on the desk. So I got a great big towel, and I had them sequentially marked out with post-it notes, and I had a double cassette player that, you know, we had hooked up to the sound system. And I would play one, and while I was playing one, uh, the other one was rewinding, you know, and I was just constantly doing that. And it was quite the process. Uh, it was a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of work. It was weird um, and clunky, you know, in its own way. But at the time, that was the technology available to us. And, you know, we made it work. Now, you can put the entire thing on your phone and just cue it off your phone plugged into a sound system. It's, it's amazing. And it's one of those things where it's like, how do you communicate that to somebody who grows up with it? Like I look at my nephews, they grew up with smartphones. Smartphones have always been around for them. You know, they, this is the internet has always been in their lives. So how do you communicate to somebody? And it's not like, oh, those were the good old days, because I actually don't think that necessarily makes them good. I like the advances in technology. I like being able to just put everything on my phone or on my iPad. I think that's quite remarkable. But how do you explain to someone who's only known this technology, they've only known this technology, and so they don't see it quite, they don't see it as remarkable. They don't see it as amazing. They see it as mundane and banal. They see it as the way things always have been. And they're looking for the next big change, or maybe not. Maybe they're just happy with what they've got, but they don't really see how amazing it is. And uh, I think it's a mistake to not continually be fascinated and amazed by what technology can do. I mean, the fact that I'm driving a Prius cross-country, and I will probably spend, because it's a hybrid car, I'll spend a quarter of the money and the fossil fuels to buy gas, you know, that, 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 that quarter of that energy um, to get me all the way to Las Vegas. I also spent a lot of this driving through the middle of the night time reflecting on the time I landed in Chicago in 1999 and finding circles where I never thought to see them. Keep in mind that eight hours driving most of the time in the dark is kind of weird. When I first headed out, 1989, April, I think I left April, I believe I left the house. I left my mom's house. And the thing about it is, I graduated college, I came home, um, and I'll, I'll confess, I was a bit of an asshole to my mom and my sister. Um, just because, you know, I mean, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was frustrated because I now had a college degree and I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. And I was living at home with my mother. I understand that the younger generations, that, that seems to be perfectly fine. That's not a source of embarrassment to someone who's 23 years old today. Today, that seems like, you know, hey, take advantage of the opportunity. The parents are fine with it. Whatever you got to do. My generation, or at least me, I don't know if it's my generation, but in 1989, the idea that I, I graduated college and I was living with my mom, it just didn't seem right. It was embarrassing. It was like, I got to do something. So one day I just decided, there wasn't like a whole lot of preamble to it. 
I got up in the morning, I took everything I owned, packed it all up, packed it up in my Bronco 2, and my mom woke up for breakfast and, you know, made breakfast, and I said, okay, I'm leaving. And she said, what do you mean you're leaving? I said, I'm, 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 I can't live with you. I gotta, you know, I gotta go do something with my life. I gotta go have an adventure. I gotta go get something done. And, uh, and she didn't, she was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she just, it, she, it didn't even make sense. But I said, no, I'm, I'm, I love you. And I gave her a hug and she came out and cried and I got in my truck and I drove off. And uh, it's very funny to me that, again, um, I left Chicago the same way that I got there. Rush hour traffic, a whole bunch of shit in my vehicle, road food. I am now in St. Louis, and when I drove up, when I initially left Kansas, the first major city that I stopped at was St. Louis. And I spent like two days kind of driving around, looking at St. Louis, getting a sense of the neighborhoods and the downtown and all that kind of stuff. And I just didn't like, St. Louis just didn't feel right. And so I went, continued going north. And I didn't really have any in-game. I, it wasn't like I was coming to Chicago. Um, as far as I knew, I was just going to go look at Chicago. Um, I'd been to Chicago, but had not like really looked at it. <clears throat> and so it's funny to me that 30 years ago, I, I, I came to St. Louis and then went to Chicago. And now, 30 years later, I started in Chicago and just by, I didn't even plan this out, but by virtue of the route that I chose, going right through St. Louis right now. And that is kind of remarkable. It's kind of cool. There's a nice symmetry to it. Um, and I'm a fan of, of that sort of thing, uh, the symmetry kind of thing. Now, if you've never taken a cross-country road trip solo, it is unlike almost any experience that I can explain. It's a Jack Kerouac element of just hitting the asphalt and moving further from one place and closer to another, catching the spirit of the road. The night aspect is also quite dangerous, especially with other drivers driving at 3 a.m. and some doing overnight driving, like me. Dana and Kelly did spin out in a Missouri in a Missouri ditch and ended up in that ditch, and but they were fine. It was uh, slick. There was a lot of ice. Well, along the dark highway of Missouri, I almost bought it as well. things that I miss and uh, you know in the last four years I've mostly traveled with Dana doing road trips I love a road trip I, I can't even tell you how much I love road trips um, but one of the things that I miss because Dana she sleeps she's she's she mostly passages um, 
does not reflect that she cannot drive. She's totally capable of it and will if I need her to. But uh, I like to drive and she likes to passage. Which means that mostly I, I don't turn on the radio. I don't listen to the radio in the car because she's sleeping um, or she's reading or whatever. You know, so I, I generally will plug in and listen to podcasts. Now, my favorite travel road trip podcast is Film Spotting. Uh, Josh Larson, Adam Kempinar, <clears throat> both friends of mine. I mean, loosely, I, I know them and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm friendly with them kind of thing. Um, but I love film spotting, so if you've never listened to film spotting, uh, then you should absolutely look them up. They're just fun. They're movies. If you like movies, they're going to be great. You know, they're gonna, you're going to hear all kinds of great reviews and talk about it. But I love to listen to the podcasts. But film spotting is my, my favorite. Um, I've been listening to Akimbo uh, with Seth. Uh, shit. Oh well. Love podcasts. Film spotting, one of my favorites, uh, and, and, and despite the fact that I don't really care much for Iron Glass, I really love This American Life. Great road trip fodder. It's great stuff. Um, but I don't listen to the radio like I used to. And I used to, when I would make a road trip, that's part of the fun, is scanning through and hearing what radio stations are playing in that area that you happen to be. Right now it's about 11.45. I've been on the road for about eight hours. A couple of stops for gas to pee, get some coffee. Um, but the things that I can tell you right now is out here in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, the road is dark. There are no lights anywhere. So it is like, it's like driving through black ink. It is seriously about as dark as you can imagine. It's kind of wonderful. But one of my favorite things to do is to find, you know, find a, a hard rock station or a classic rock station or a jazz station. That's very rare out in the heartland is a jazz station. Um, I try to find the NPR stations when I can um, just because I like NPR and it's good to listen to. Um, I noticed that WBEZ cuts out uh, somewhere about halfway through Illinois, cuts out and becomes a Christian station, which is quite discombobulating, but it, it is. But uh, but one of the things, you know, it's like road trip. What do you do on a road trip? Um, what I love about a road trip is I like driving for long distances. I really like highway driving. Um, and I've enjoyed every car that I've ever had. I enjoyed my motorcycle tip. Motorcycles harder on your ass for a long-distance road trip than anything you can imagine. So if you are into road trips, I suggest a car. Just what I'm saying. And what I've discovered is since I bought this Prius, I love this Prius. It's the best road trip car I've ever had. It's comfortable, it's smooth, it always starts, and man is the gas cheap. So that's a good thing. I generally will have uh, a certain amount of road food. Every time I stop, I'll get some coffee. You know, because it's nice to have some coffee and some water. You know, get to stay hydrated and keep yourself caffeinated. Um, I used to smoke cigarettes all the time. Now I smoke my pipe. And when I'm driving, I will smoke my pipe in the car. Um, it's a little more complicated, but I do it. 
just one of those things I like to do. I am passing Uranus. Oh my God, how I wish that this was during the daytime. It's like a sideshow circus museum right here on the side of the road in Missouri. Holy shit, how I would love to stop there. Um, Because that's exactly the kind of shit I love to do when I go on a road trip. Road trips give you an opportunity to see the country. Um, I know too many people who are very comfortable in their in their little box. Uh, people that like are that feel like they own a certain neighborhood. Like I know people that live in Humboldt Park in Chicago, and that they feel like because they live there and they've lived there their whole lives that it belongs to them. And so they don't have any reason to kind of venture beyond the boundaries of that small six or seven block radius. They don't need to because this is, you know, and there's the excuse that, oh, they're poor or someone's poor and so they can't travel, which is bullshit. You don't need a lot of money to travel. You just need to do it. You just need to go. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's just it. That's the deal. But... What I love about road trips is it really exposes you. I mean, it it shows you on some level the homogenation of America. Um, you know, all commerce driven. The billions of McDonald's arches that you pass, and the Waffle Houses and the Taco Bells. You know, every you know all the you know the the, the BPs and the Sheets and the uh, Casey's. You know, the loves, all these places, the road stops that you get gas at. All these, there's, you know, I just see Pizza Hut. It's very homogenized in that way, you know, and that's one of the things that makes America traveling. It feels safer that way, you know, when there are those things that are so very familiar. I mean, you know, I don't really like McDonald's. I don't eat at McDonald's almost ever, but. Knowing that there's a McDonald's, you know, every hundred miles, it makes it feel like you're a part of something larger, you know, that's connected. There's a connection uh, based on this sort of commerce, and and, uh, I find that fascinating. But the other thing is, listening to the radio gives you a sense of what that area values Um, as I go through uh, Missouri, lower, you know, southern Illinois and, and Missouri, you get a lot more, um, when you land on talk radio, it, it tends to be more conservative. Um, a lot of Christian stations in this area. Um, not really my cup of tea, but it's fascinating to listen to because you get a sense of what that area, you get a sense of the people in that area, which is, you know, it, it, holy shit, holy fucking shit. What the fuck was that? God damn it. Okay, here's one of the things to be aware of when you are driving, uh, especially late at night uh, on the highway, is, uh, you know, when it's late like this, there's trucks. A lot of fucking trucks. And uh, they're driving all night too. And they don't maneuver as well as a Prius does. Uh, what you just heard was me almost getting fucking knocked completely off the road by an 18-wheel gas truck that uh, was
was trying to avoid another truck that was, I don't know what the fuck he was doing. Um, there's not much of a shoulder. So I, uh, I, I kind of, uh, yeah, yes. That was, uh, that'll wake you up. That'll fucking wake you up when you almost get run off the fucking road and destroyed by a fucking 18-wheel truck. I remember, like, road trips. I remember uh, once when I was driving, it was in the winter, um, I was driving, I believe, from Arkansas, you know, from, from college. This had to be a college trip. Um, from Fayetteville to Kansas where my mom and dad lived in Wichita. And I remember, and I was driving, and it was very, very snowy, very, very slick. I was, this is when I had the Bronco, so I'm absolutely positive this was college. And I hit a patch of ice, and I started spinning. And I don't actually know how many times I spun around, but I was probably going 60, 65 miles an hour. And I spun for a long time, and I knew I was going to die. There was no question in my mind, I'm going to die. And... I finally came to rest in the median, and I didn't die, and there's no problem with the vehicle. You know, I don't know if I'm blessed by angels, as my mom would say, or if I'm just the luckiest motherfucker I know. Um, I'm betting on the lucky part. Um, but uh, so far, I have managed to uh, not die um, and not get seriously injured in my many road trips. Coming back to the question of why move, why Las Vegas, I found myself rambling about the new opportunities soon to be afforded. But it's been a long time since I've been someplace where fucking nobody knows me, where I don't have a reputation, where it is a clean slate, and I am able to just go someplace and just reinvent myself. Um, Try not to make the same mistakes I made along the way in Chicago, Um, try to make replicate some of the bigger things you know it's been very exciting that there are people that I've known and that's the thing is in terms of knowing people that are from Chicago that now um, either live in Las Vegas or in Los Angeles which is more typical who are like I just I just got uh, an email from an old friend I used to do burlesque shows in Chicago is in LA and they're trying to open a burlesque show in Vegas and wants to know if I want to be their boots on the ground and I'm, I'm going to get back to him and say absolutely, yeah, yes, that sounds like a lot of fucking fun I'm way into that um, so let's uh, let's talk turkey let's figure out uh, how that works what you need from me and you know, the more shows I'm doing, the more things I'm creating in Vegas, the happier I will be um, it is a, it's, a, it's a brand new slate there's nothing, I mean Chicago is glutted with stuff so Vegas is a, is a it's, it's, it really is like the concept of going west. And you look at like the Oregon Trail, the whole concept of going west was to go someplace that was a little more wild, that was a little less tamed, that had a little bit more room to stretch, that had a little bit more opportunity to create. And it's going to be hard because it's the west. It's hard scrabble. It's hot. It's desert. But God damn it, it's brand new, and there's a limitless amount of possibility. And if there's anything that I'm excited about moving to Las Vegas, is that sense of limitless possibility that I have not felt since 1990. 
A lot has transpired in 30 years. I unpacked quite a bit of it in the Literate Ape article, Farewell to Chicago, that I recommend you read. It's, it's a fun read. It's long. Lots of links. But that, notwithstanding, the hits just kept coming as I hit the cruise control, stared into the blackness, and hurtled forward. Why do we say that? That marriage failed. I don't think the marriage that I had with Deanna failed. Um, it didn't end, it, you know, it ended, um, and it didn't end well, necessarily, but, uh, you know, there were, there were good things about it. It was, you know, it, it wouldn't have stuck around so long had there not been good things about it. I can say the same thing for my second marriage. Um, that one ended very badly. I mean, really, really badly. And, uh, you know, and I've got some friends that, you know, it's like, Jen sort of checked out um, from most of the people that were a part of the theater company. And, uh, you know, and, and that was one of the things that uh, one, of our, one of our mutual friends said. She never hears from Jen anymore. And that she thinks it's because she's embarrassed by how horrifyingly she treated me in that time. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it was kind of ugly. But the thing about it is, I wouldn't say it failed. We, we did really remarkable things together. Um, I don't think we were the greatest married couple, but we were a great couple in terms of our ability to create, maintain a, an artistic presence in Chicago. That was quite significant, quite a, quite a big deal for me. Um, so I'm excited about that. Nathan Robel, <coughs> Nathan Robel wrote on Facebook, uh, as I left, as I put my farewell to Chicago in there, and he just made a comment that WDP and specifically the show Swari Dada, Swari Dada was something that Joel Jeske created with Joe James and I, and then we took over, and then Jen got involved, and then I became the director um, of that show. Uh, to give you a quick history of Swari Dada, um, Joel Jeske uh, is a at the time he wasn't, but he he, he was with Ringling Brothers. Um, he was, a, I mean, a professional clown. He still is a professional clown. But at the time, he had a, a sh- an idea for a show. And Joe James, uh, and he was in Clown. He created Clown, Prickus and Wilburse, which to this day, I still think is one of the most amazing pieces of dark, fucked-up theater I've ever seen. Love that show, like, with all my heart. One of the few things I was just like I saw and I was fucking jealous that somebody else had created this amazing experience. Um, Joe was a, an understudy for that, and uh, they, as a part of their sort of rehearsals, a part of their sort of development of material and craft, they created Swari Dada that they asked me to co-produce, which you did. And uh, in the earliest stages, it was very scripted. It was very highly focused, and it was a lot of original pieces and interpretations of actual Dada classics, what we'll call Dada classics, I guess that's what we call um, We did then, then we moved it to Trapdoor, we did it at the Turnaround Theater, then we did it at the Trapdoor Theater for a while, and then uh, we moved on. We did, uh, WDP did Metaluna, The Amazing Science, The Mind Review, uh, Joel went on to go to clown school, this kind of stuff. And then uh, at one point, you know, Joe and I had about a year where we just didn't speak. Things were, you know, we just didn't. 
caused the rift. I probably caused the rift. And uh, when he came back, he wanted to direct a Dada show. And so he did in our theater. And it was a great success. And so we decided that we wanted to do sort of an open run of Soiree Dada. Well, for a while, and it ran that ran for about three years, I think. I don't know the exact dates. But it ran for a while. And it, at a certain point, it, it became sort of like bad German improv, you know? Um, it was so loose and so structureless that it was just bullshit, you know? It just wasn't very interesting. And so I said, you know, I'm going to cancel the show and then we'll do it again, but I'm going to direct it. And it's going to have a purpose and a point. And that was when we did Swari Dada and Neu Beltoffen, um, which New World Monkeys, which we actually took to the New York Fringe Festival um, and performed it at PS122. Did very, very well there. Um, that show went, then we did Linda Easel Hops, uh, which was the German and the French. I mean, we did a whole lot of that, but Nathan Robo wrote that that show was a huge inspiration for him and changed his life and that if he were writing an autobiography, there'd be a whole chapter devoted just to Suari Dada, which, you know, was a great compliment. And that's the kind of things that I created in Chicago, that I helped, you know, and I can't say I did it all by myself because I would never say that. It was a collaboration because that's what art is. But I was really excited. I'm very excited to be able to look back and say, yeah, that's we did some significant things. I want to do that in Vegas. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to create significant things that people are excited to be a part of, and uh, and I can't wait to do it. At this point, I'd been on the road for around uh, twelve hours, and I was still plowing through to morning. So far, I think I sound pretty lucid, but in next week's episode, the loopiness begins to set in as I continue the increasingly bizarre stream of consciousness in a rolling can going 80 miles an hour. Next episode will conclude what ended up being a 32-hour drive with only two one-hour road naps that no 53-year-old man should ever attempt. The rest of this season will focus on my navigation through the winds and turns of my peculiar journey to a brand new place. It's a bit daunting. It's exciting. And I hope it'll be inspiring enough to get you to reconsider where you are and where you might want to be. Peculiar Journeys is a storytelling podcast. For previous seasons, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or online at donhall.vegas slash podcast. To support Peculiar Journeys, please review the show on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends or on social media, or go to patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys and become a VIP patron by tossing me a few bucks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.